Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. We have a wonderful guest with us today for Spirit in Action. Her name is Jimena Yanez Soto, and she is the author of Healthy Planet, Healthy You, Simple Habits to Create a Brighter Future, which is an exploration of the health connections between what we eat, why we eat it, how it affects us, and how these are linked to the well-being of other inhabitants of our globe and of the planet as a whole. As much as Jimena does not claim to be a scientist, she is organized, principled, insightful, and delightful, sharing the information and experience she has gathered while encouraging us to do our own research and exploration. She currently works as an integrative nutritional health coach and yoga instructor, but that's on top of the 20 years she spent as an accountant and CFO of an environmental fund in Mexico. My appreciation goes out to Ayla, who connected me with Jimena and her book, and to Andrew Jansen, who provided production assistance on this program. Please keep in mind that there is no way I could possibly include all of what Jimena and I will talk about in just 55 minutes, so go to northernspiritradio.org to listen to the full, uncut interview, including some choice excerpts about industrial agriculture and the implications of our microbiome. Right now, let's head over to Colorado via Zoom for a visit with Jimena Yanez Soto. Jimena, so wonderful to have you here today for Spirit in Action. Thank you for having me. I'm excited and I'm humbled and thank you so much for inviting me. Before we go into many of the important things you have to say about Healthy Planet, Healthy You, I want to start with your personal story because I think it's absolutely important not to only know facts about, you know, this cholesterol does this to your diet or this amino acid is essential or not. Those things are helpful to know, but all of it is valuable when it comes out of relationship. And your relationship starts with your birth in Mexico City. And you live there and you work for an environmental fund there for 20 years. And then the last eight years or so, you've been in Colorado. But tell me about your family. How big is your family? How many brothers and sisters? And are any of them in Colorado or are they all back in Mexico? You know, I was born, I'm the first daughter of my parents. Then I had a brother a year after I was born. My brother was born. So we were almost like twins. And then almost four years later, my sister came. So yeah, I have two siblings and yeah, we had fun. We had a lot of fun when we were kids. My mom died when I was 14. My brother was 13. My my sister was 10. And my mother was from Costa Rica. We were born in Mexico City, but we went a lot to Costa Rica every year to spend Christmas with family. And actually, my family took her to Costa Rica to die. And after that, we had the opportunity to live one year in Cancun. So after my mother died, everything changed. But it was a good change. I always thought that, of course, things happen for a reason. You can't spend your time asking why. Things happen even if you don't understand why they happen for a reason. So we got to live for one year in Cancun. And it was kind of beautiful. Even my mom had died recently. The thing is that before my dad and my siblings and I came to grow very close. And it was a good time for us. Then we returned to Mexico City. 
my dad got married again. And this lady had four kids, two boys and two girls. The boys were already in college, so they didn't live with us. But the two girls were exact same age as my sister and I. So it was kind of difficult because when you have stepsisters at that age, I'm talking about <laughs> 16, 17 years, <laughs> you're kind of competitive for boys and boyfriends and, you know. But it was also a, a good time. I didn't like to spend much time at home because I, at that time, my relationship with my dad was not very good. So I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, my dad's parents. With my grandmother, I had this incredible relationship and I learned so much with her. I used to have lunch almost every day with her because I preferred to be there with her. I just remember her. She was my haven. She saved me many things. I, I, As I told you, I didn't want to stay at home a lot because with my dad, the time we spent in Cancun was wonderful, but then things started changing. To some degree, I know all of what you're talking about because my mother died when I was nine. I had a stepmother as of a year later. I'm one of 12. That is, my mom and dad had seven. I have two half-sisters and I have three step-siblings. So... I think I know what you're talking about, Imena. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I spent a lot of time with my grandma and we used to have wonderful conversations about her childhood because she was born in a very small town in Galicia, Spain. Part of my book, you can read about my grandma in my book because I was shocked when I was a kid and she used to tell me that they had cows. And I used to ask her, did you eat the cows? And she always said, no, no, we didn't need the cows. The cows were meant for warming the houses. How? <laughs> so the first floor was a barn in every house because it was the cold, misty mountains of Galicia. So the first floor was a barn where they kept the animals. And the second floor was where they had their regular life, like cooking and sleeping. So houses were warmed by animals. So they respected the animals. They were part of the family. They did kill one pig every year. Just one in the coldest month of the year. And they used everything, the hooves, the ears, the nose, everything, the blood, you know, morcillas. And, but it was like a party. They celebrated that they were grateful for the pig. They salted and dried everything. But of course, one pig for one family wouldn't last for a year. So back then, I believed in this so-called protein myth. I would call it the protein myth that we need animal. Because if I ask anybody, hey, if I say the word protein, what comes to your mind? And 95% of the people would say animal products like meat or fish. So I believe that. So I asked her, grandma, but one pig for one family for one year, what happened when you finished the pig? And she said, we ate whatever we had, meaning plants. So I love to hear these stories. Sometimes she had to to walk with the cows for hours because they had to keep the cows healthy and, and strong because they were part of the family. So she told me I was afraid. I, I don't know. I have I've never been in the, like walking by myself in the misty, cold mountains of Galicia. But she said she, sometimes she was with the cows and she was very afraid of coyotes and things that would come. And yeah, so she was a little girl. She left that place when she was eight so all these memories were from, she was really a kid. She went to Vigo when she turned eight. So all these stories about her childhood, we would spend hours talking about that. 
And I was just amazed on how she was able to survive in this little town with nothing. For me, it was nothing. No water, no protein. I was just in shock. So yeah, I spent a lot of time. Then we moved. But she did survive, and that teaches us something if we pay attention to it, right? Exactly. Right. And by the way, uh, my grandfather had a farm, a dairy farm, and they had cows and pigs and chickens and everything like that, which is where my father grew up. So we have a lot of similarity in our family, including the fact that I grew up Catholic, right? Yeah, exactly. Where did you get your science mind? You have a very good science mind, even though you claim that this book is not a science book. Where did you get your science mind? Well, you know, my mom was a microbiologist, and I always wanted to study something like that. But as things were not very good in my house, my grandma said, I know you want to be a biologist or something related to that. But you have to think, because let me tell you, in Mexico, when you go to college, you mostly stay at your parents' house. You don't go... Almost everything is in Mexico City. So I lived in Mexico City. So what we are used to do in Mexico City is we just enroll in college and we go and it's like every other school. You go, you take your lessons and you come back to your house where you have your meals and you have your bed and everybody, everybody's looking for you, taking care of you, your parents. You don't have to worry about what to eat, where to eat, where to sleep washing my clothes, you have everything. So I lived with my dad when I was about to start college and I was supposed to keep living with him. But my grandma said, you know, the relationship with your dad is not that good. So I think you should think about studying something that would allow you to start working fast so you can leave your dad's house and maybe take your sister with you. So she said, what about public accounting? And I was like, I don't even know what's that. And she said, it's a good career. And she, she explained it to me. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. And I did that because, yeah, I needed that. I, I couldn't stay at my dad's home. But suddenly, I think it was in the second semester, he got a divorce. So this lady left with her kids. And we were again, just the four of us. And I had no need to move out from my dad's house. So I stayed there. I kept studying because I, I already enrolled in that. And you know, I like numbers. I didn't like very much my career, but I like doing numbers and I love spreadsheets, which many people <laughs> Spreadsheets are, wow, I love them. And then I was like, maybe I, sh I, I, I don't want to work being a public accountant because I also play the guitar and sing. And I said, oh, I'm going to be a singer. And then my dad said, uh, mm -mm, you're going to work for me. And then I was like, oh, no, I, I'm not going to work for my dad. Never, ever. Because if we uh, kind of have a uh, more or less relationship going on, I couldn't imagine living with him and working for him, like seeing him 24 hours. No, no. So I told my counselor and she said, oh, I have this wonderful job that I think you would love. It's in an environmental fund. So I went there, I had my interview, and I ended up working for this environmental fund, which was, you know, life sometimes doesn't bring you or gives you what you want the way you want. But I ended up working in an environmental fund with a lot of things related to biology and nature and environment, which I loved. And also doing my numbers and spreadsheets, which uh, spreadsheets, I love them. But uh, accounting and financial statements, I can do them. I understand them. I like them now. 
they were not my strong suit back then, but I learned how to do that. And I was happy because I was doing these two things that at some point complemented. And it was a good thing. So it didn't start like I was, I had planned, but it ended up very well. When you were working for the Fondo Mexicano para la Conservación de la Naturaleza, I hope I didn't slaughter that too badly. The 20 years you're working for that, you mentioned that you got known for being the person who said no. We can't do this. We can't do that. No, no, no. And I find that so interesting because your persona working as you do in integrative nutritional health coaching is a yes person. Did you have to have a transformation of your person? How did you do that? Do you still feel like you're the same person? Yeah, it was kind of funny because I started as the accountant of the environmental fund. And then a couple of years later, my boss left. And they invited me to apply for her post, a CFO. So I got that post when I was 27 years old. So I had a lot of friends my age working there that suddenly they were jealous. And they were like, why did she get that? Like, they wouldn't believe in me because I was young and I was, but my boss, the CEO, he believed in me and he said, okay, let's give it a try. You're young, but I, I know you can do it. So at some time, at point, I had the pressure to prove I was worthy. I encountered a lot of resistance with my colleagues. So I started focusing on having the numbers and all the things going on. I, I became the controller too. So everything had to be in order. Every cent had to be with a receipt or something. So there were no like, oh, we didn't know what happened with this money. Uh-uh. That couldn't happen with me. So I started to be very strict. And sometimes people went to see projects in the field and they had to rent donkeys to cross a river or something like that. And they wouldn't have a receipt for the donkey. And I was like, okay, you don't have a receipt. You have to reimburse whatever you spend. It was good for the environmental fund because we became a model in Latin America. Then they formed a network for Latin American funds. The CEO was the president of that network, and then he took everything they knew as a network, and they formed the Asia and African network of environmental funds. But we were the role model. Like, everybody was turning to us, like, this is how things should be. Because when you receive money from donors, you cannot tell them that, I don't know what happened with this money. You have to show them that every cent was used with purpose for the things they have donated the money. And we had donors as the World Bank, the Global Environmental Facility, some governments, the Mexican, uh, the USAID government from the Germany government, the Spain government. So I started focusing on having everything by the book with the fund. And I lack this personal connection with people. And so then when you become an integrative nutritional health coach, you've changed. You have to be actually dealing with people. Is this an addition to your skill set? Because I think that there's part of you which is still able to be very organized, to track every penny, but now something else is more important. And I think this leads you to write Healthy Planet, Healthy You. Are those two pieces existing comfortably within you now? Yeah, the thing is that when we moved, to Colorado eight years ago, I thought back then working remotely was not an option. Now, 
we have this possibility after the pandemic. But eight years ago, mm -mm. my boss trusted me so much that I kept working for them five years after we moved. But he was about to retire. So I knew that the moment he retired, this was not going to work because he knew me like so deeply and the new CEO wouldn't know me as he knew me. So I, I already knew that this thing, working for the environmental fund that I love, will have an end soon. So I thought I could still work in finance, doing some things, uh, maybe not as a CFO of uh, somewhere here in the United States, because I'm not a CPA. I didn't study public accounting here. I studied in Mexico. So there are limitations, but maybe I can do something related to finance or maybe I can change everything. Because at some point, deep inside of me, I knew I haven't been able to create these connections with people. And I was lacking that. I was missing that. So I said, what about studying something that allows me to get in touch, really in touch, deeply in touch with people? And then I, I remembered that for many, many years, I suffered mystery and chronic illnesses and things. I was always taking appeal. I was always feeling weak and bad. And that was the way it was for me. And I thought my body was like that. And I just was born with that. And I was going to die with that. And at some point I was diagnosed with POTS, which means postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And the cardiologist said, you need to take a pill for the rest of your life. And also you have high cholesterol. So another pill for the rest of your life. And I was like, whoa, I'm used to taking pills, but like for some disease. And then a couple of months later, I'm good. Or I'm, I'm good again. So I'm not used to be sentenced for this, for a pill for the rest of my life. That's a life sentence. So I asked her, do you think that if I change something in my diet would help me? And she said, no, diet no. and health. <laughs> That's so crazy that so that many meant, doctors think yeah. exactly that way. Yeah, yeah. but I, I don't know. She saw my face and then she said, oh, okay, don't worry. Go try everything, anything you like. Go for two months, try everything. And then you'll come back two months from now and I'll give you the prescriptions. But now go and try whatever you want. And then I tried. I started reading and found this diet. And when I came back, she was like, what happened to you? What you did is what all my patients have to do. What did you do? And I, and I said, well, I changed this and this and this. I stopped eating this. And, and she was like, wow. So I took the POTS pill for maybe a year. And I never took the cholesterol pill. My cholesterol levels went down very, very fast. So I thought, well, having this experience, me being a person, I didn't want to take a pill for the rest of my life. Part of me knew that I could heal myself. I sort of thought that I come with some kind of, you know, not being perfect and imperfect health to this world. But behind my ear, I had something was whispering to me that I might be able to find health. I didn't know how. So I found it through nutrition, through changing my diet. I started practicing yoga too, which was a thing that helped me very much, a practice that grounded me. And I learned how to breathe, which is very important. So I changed some things and suddenly I was better than ever, younger than ever, feeling stronger than ever. So I said, well, maybe I can help people 
And the thing I lacked in that environmental fund, which was the connection with other people, maybe I can do it now from another perspective, helping them to achieve healthier and happier lives. You know, I have an interesting little bit of a history with myself nutritionally or somewhere in there. Back in about 16 years ago, I was diagnosed as having rheumatoid arthritis. It started with my hands, first one hand and then the other, and then my jaw and my knees and my elbows and everywhere. It was affecting me. And so they tried a couple different medications and methotrexate had problem with livers. So you better stop doing that. And so I switched. I did both some diet. And what I mainly did was I reduced my stress. It used to be I, I was not able to close this hand, but this much. And, you know, I can do this. So I, I can close my hands all the way. Now I can still feel it's not exactly like it was before the problem started. But fortunately, the doctor I was seeing for rheumatoid arthritis, he was aware he had had a professor who had taught him about nutrition and said, well, we have to explore some things about that. So he was very happy to encourage me to think about nutrition. He didn't talk to me about the stress part of it, but I wonder if how much that affected the change for you. Did you actually reduce your stress and did that have some of the effect? Yeah, I think through yoga with these breathing techniques, you know, the Uyai breath, the ocean breath for every posture, because yoga, more than moving the body, the most important thing in yoga, and I'm a teacher also, is how you breathe in and out of a posture. It's not how much you can bend or how much you can touch your toes. It's not about that. It's about how you breathe when you're going down and how you breathe when you're going up. So I think that helped me a lot with stress actually. And both things, because I also think if you're eating an animal that was killed in very stressful ways, and also the animal lived in a very stressful environment, some of that goes to our, you know, our bones and our muscles. You can feel it in your muscles. We're eating from stressed animals. How is that affecting us? So reducing my animal products consumption, I think it had to do a lot also with reducing stress. But mostly I think it was, I was moving my body in different ways. I've never moved my body like that. Actually, when I started practicing yoga, I didn't want to because I was not flexible at all. I, I would bend forward and I couldn't touch my knees. It was impossible for me. Now I, I can touch my toes, but I didn't want to do that. So I was moving my body in different ways. I was breathing differently. And I kept thinking, if this is happening to my body, what is happening to my mind? There must be also a huge change in my mind because I'm seeing it in my body. So yeah, I think it reduced stress and the way I ate, I started eating and the way I started moving and breathing of course, reduce my stress load. Folks, today for Spirit in Action, we're talking to Jimena Yanez Soto. She is many things in this world. As you just heard, she teaches yoga, but she is an integrative nutritional health coach. Reiki is big in her repertoire, biomagnetism practitioner. She's got a lot of skills and all of that on top of her experience with information technology, business, and public accounting. 
she has a lot of skills she's bringing to this work that she's doing in the world. And she's the author of a book called Healthy Planet, Healthy You, Simple Habits to Create a Brighter Future, which is why I have her here for Spirit in Action. Our website is northernspiritradio.org. 17 years of our guests, people working for world healing in so many different ways. And we'll find out more about Jimena, how she's working for world healing as you join her today. But remember to go to our site, nordenspearradio.org, post comments on our interviews, give us suggestions for other guests, connect with us. There's also a place where you can support us because we fund this work through your donations, not through governmental and not through corporate donations. Because as we'll find out in just a moment, talking with Jimena, corporate donations come with strings and they influence what words can come out of your mouth. So again, if you read Healthy Planet, Healthy You, you'll find a lot of the information about that, but you can find about all of our guests on our Northern Spirit Radio website, and you can connect also with the 45 or so community radio stations across this country who carry our program, and please support them. Community radio is so essential because it comes from the center of the community instead of from the top down, and top down frequently has to do with the dilution that can happen for financial interests. So please support your community radio station with your hands, with your wallet, and help make this a better planet. And again, Jimena Yanez Soto is making this world a better place. This book is a wonderful resource for this. You start the book, Jimena, with a disclaimer. You said, this book is not for you if. And one of the things that you say is it's not a science book. But I think there's a whole lot of rich, wonderful science. And especially, I think it's a book that helps you learn how to make your own decisions. That's especially important. At one point, you say that science can blind us. What do you mean by that? Because you obviously have reverence for science, too. Yeah, well, I said that because I didn't tell you this, but my parents and my brother, they're very scientific and they are very, give me the facts, right? So my, my brother has a PhD in industrial bio something. He's always following the scientific method and he's very like, I like to know the facts. So when I wrote this book, he kind of told me, this is not a scientific book, so you should say that. And I was like, yeah, of course, I don't, I don't want to write a scientific book because I want people that read it, I want them to feel like we're sitting and having a cup of coffee. We're talking and having fun. And But of course, the facts are important because you can go to the source and then review them. But what I was telling my brother, and he agrees with me with that, is that, you know, you have science. But sometimes science doesn't know everything. Science understands some things at, at some point. Like, for example, tobacco. Back then, 40 years ago, everybody smoked, even doctors, because there was nothing to tell them that tobacco could have secondary effects, like side effects. Nothing was proven. And they had done, you know, the industry have done the research and everything, and they, they didn't have anything. And then suddenly they start having more access to what was happening to the people, the cancer rate growing, everything showing that tobacco was not a good thing for people. And even with that, having those research, and it took many, many years of fighting against the industry, people against the industry 
to ban tobacco in certain places. Like I can still remember that when I traveled to Costa Rica every year, you could smoke in the plane. Right. Like the back seats <laughs> were for smoking people. When my daughter was born 19 years ago in Mexico, you could go into a restaurant and say, I would like the non-smoker section. And they would put you in a very little space, but everybody else was right smoking. So <laughs> it was, you could smoke in offices. You could smoke everywhere. Actually, when you were a non-smoker, you were the strange person because everybody was smoking. And what's so important about it is the information about the damage that's done by smoking did exist 20 years before that. But systematically, there were moneyed interests who kept that information from coming out. They fought it in the courts. They fought it in the public mind through the ads that they created on their TVs and radios and everything. I say this in part with some passion because my first wife's father and mother, he died of emphysema. She died of lung cancer. My dad died of emphysema. And I have two siblings who are suffering badly from emphysema, lifelong smokers as well. So I feel this and I know how far back this goes. And yet we didn't learn. We didn't change. We didn't change. The medical magazines would put some advertisements of cigarettes, the medical magazines. So I remember one of my grandma's doctor, he would smoke while she was talking to him in his office. And he was, I think he was a cardiologist. <laughs> he was smoking. So where was this information back then that doctors didn't know? So yeah, the information was there. So when I say science sometimes is deceiving is that, for example, there are so many, you know, sodas, <laughs> the industry of sodas, of course, they put the money for the research. So they could say to the researchers, well, you have to put this in, change this, other words, or take this out, or it depends, science depends on the source, where the money is coming from. And you could have those totally different results from scientists, depending on who funded the research, saying, for example, that sugar would do any harm to kids. And then you'll have the other one saying that sugar is terrible for kids. So who would you believe? Both were research from scientists. So what I say is science is deceiving. You have to go to the root who is funding. Because if the soda industry is funding research that is talking about the effects of sugar on your body, I would say mm, maybe... It would be suspect. Yeah. It depends on what you want to find also. You want to keep drinking soda? Okay, go and your <laughs> facts would be those research. You would say, well, this research says this and this and this and those are the facts. Okay. But the thing is what I keep saying in my book is go to the source. Who is funding what? I talk also about big pharma and the food industry. And big pharma is just mostly the same is the judge and the one that is giving us the medicines. Big pharma, this industry is telling us uh, you're sick and then you have to have this medicine, right? So it's a cycle. They're For the funding, rest of your life, like they were telling you. Yeah, and they're funding the studies and they're, all the research says that. And then you have the food industry. They want to sell their products, of course. And they tell you, yeah, you have to eat healthy. Eat this bar with high protein, no sugars added or no uh, fat or cholesterol or whatever. And this is good for you, but it's 
a processed food. It's not good for you. It has no information for your body, but because it's processed, they're selling you that food as healthy as a high protein bar, <laughs> which makes no sense. And they'll have the research. Yeah, this is high in protein. This is high in whatever vitamins, minerals, and low in fat. And, and they'll have the research. So science, I love science, but the science that is not compromised, the science that is pure with nobody telling you what that study should say. And you said that about your radio show also. Yes, exactly. We don't want to compromise. We don't want to put ourselves in a place where our interests lead us to close our eyes, put on blinders, ignore some of the information that we need to have a healthy planet and a healthy you. One of the things I respect very highly in the book, Yimena, is that you constantly remind us we need to make our own decision, make our, do our own research. You can point us in a direction, say, hey, here's a book that has information. Here's a, a study that gives you this information. Here's the chemistry. You can tell us those things, but we need to do the research because you can be compromised too, right? Yeah. I don't think you are. And that's one of the reasons I have you here for spirit <laughs> in action. <laughs> yeah. The thing is that I'm feeling after I spent a lot of time seeing doctors and I love doctors and they did a lot of good things for me. But at some point, I just thought we're treating doctors as if they were gods. Like whatever they say is the truth. Like when I was asking my doctor, hey, can I do a diet? And she was mostly laughing at me. And then I discovered that if I changed my diet, I could be healthier. Then I was like, why am I listening to these doctors? Sometimes they're wonderful and they can do marvelous things, but sometimes they don't know. The one who knows about you is you. And we're in an age where we're just letting everybody else decide for us. Instead of feeling ourselves, like I started to feel my body through yoga. I started to feel how I felt. With the things I ate, I started to pay attention. I started to be mindful. We have lost that. And we are just following what others tell us, including doctors and the food industry and big pharma. And everybody's telling us what to do. And suddenly we're not sensitive about ourselves. We don't know ourselves. We don't know what makes us sick. We're not eager or even wanting to give it a try. I'm going to put these things out of my diet and see if I feel better. No, let's go to the doctor and see what he says. And I'll have a, the pill, he says. Again, folks, the book is Healthy Planet, Healthy You. Jimena Yanez Soto is our guest here today. She's joining us from right near Denver, Colorado. She is an integrative nutritional health coach, amongst other things. And I, I mentioned that aspect because that's what we're focusing on in this book. Are there sources, Jimena, of information that you consider safe? I think you point out that even universities, they have to get grants to do a lot of their work. And so they're funded by parts of the food industry who want them to tilt their information and research in a certain direction. Where do we get safe information, information we can trust? When I was writing this book, I went to a lot of sources and, you know, many people just like Marion Nestle or some people, even Dr. Collins. I think you, if you can review where, who funded the research and if it's not related to, for example, if it's something that has to do with sodas, if you see that the funding came from the industry, Coca-Cola, or I wouldn't trust that. But if the money comes from 
a university, maybe you should look further and see if that university, that grant was made, who made that grant? So maybe if the studies come from universities, you should look for who is sponsoring that university. But there are a lot of people doing research by their own or writing about their experiences, like Dr. Nestlé. She wrote about her experience and how she was bonded. Like she couldn't talk. She couldn't say anything because everything was already said. She couldn't say anything about the research they were doing because they already knew what the result was going to be because they were receiving the funds. She was in a straitjacket in terms of what she was free to say because they had already predetermined, here's what you have to say. Yeah, exactly. And there's another book, I don't have it here, but it was written 50 years ago about what we eat has to do with our health and the environment. 50 years ago. There's a new edition with many new things. And I don't remember her name. It might be Frances Moore. Frances Moore-Lapay is her name. I've interviewed her. And she was, in fact, a person who had a significant part in getting me started as a vegetarian. I became a vegetarian in 1976, have been since. And yeah, protein complementary, as she addressed it. Because you talk in the book about the protein myth. Tell us what the protein myth yeah, is. Yeah, actually, I love to talk about that. I told you, whenever I ask somebody, I'm going to give you a word. What comes to your mind? Protein. They will always say meat, fish, chicken, cheese, milk, right? And we have this vision about protein and 95% of the people will answer animal products. So I'm asking a new question. Well, do you know what, what is a protein? And then people say, well, I have no idea. That's it's something I have to eat. Well, let me tell you what's a protein. So proteins are large chains of amino acids. So the key word here is amino acid. And For kids, I, I tell them, think about a stack of Legos. So the stack is a protein and each Lego is an amino acid. So the function of our stomachs is to break everything we eat into untraceable pieces, things that we can identify after the process of digestion. So what happens with proteins is that we eat them and then our stomachs breaks them down into amino acids. Then our body stores those amino acids because Actually, we're a protein factory. Humans are protein factory. It's not that we eat the protein and then it goes to our muscle. No, it breaks down in our stomachs. Our bodies store the proteins and then our bodies with the DNA information and our uniqueness decide which proteins to build depending on what our needs are. So it will build muscle but it will do a lot of processes with proteins. Actually, we need proteins to survive. Everything has to do with proteins, but our bodies are building them. So some people say, well, you have to drink collagen for the wrinkles. And I'm like, that's a myth because you're going to drink the collagen and then your stomach will break them down, then store the amino acids. And then what happens is that sometimes our body will not make some proteins like collagen. There's at some age, We'll stop producing collagen. That's what our bodies do. Unless we start doing some other things to trigger, again, the production of collagen. But not for drinking or putting collagen here in your eyes, in your, uh, in your wrinkles. It won't work. So that's a myth of protein. So whenever we have a long chain of amino acids, you have a protein. And actually, every food that grows from the soil, every plant is a protein. 
That's how cows get their proteins. They eat grass because grass are proteins. There are long chains of amino acids, and then the cow produces its own proteins. So we can eat an apple or a lettuce or a cucumber. They have proteins. Now, the thing with those ones is that we call them incomplete proteins because science has found that we work with 20 amino acids. All the combinations of proteins come from 20 amino acids. The human body can make 11 by its own. The other nine, we have to get them from what we eat. And we call that essential amino acids. So we have nine essential amino acids that our bodies cannot make. We have to take them from what we eat. So, of course, with a, in a piece of meat or in cheese or in milk or fish, you'll have the nine essential amino acids. So we call them complete proteins. But an apple, a cucumber, they have also amino acids, but they're incomplete. They're lacking one amino acid. The good news is that it depends on the family food. Like fruits and vegetables, they lack one amino acid. Legumes, they lack another amino acid. Cereals, they lack another amino acid. Tates nuts, they lack another one. Mushrooms, some mushrooms are complete proteins, by the way. But if you mix them, then you'll have complete proteins. That's the protein complementation that you were talking about. So if, for example, you eat a salad with seeds, you're having a complete protein. You're having the same amino acids as you have in a piece of meat. And the thing is that in a piece of meat, you're lacking vitamins and minerals, fiber and water and glucose. Things that you have from plant protein, which are vital for our bodies. Because we also, well, we think, oh, well, I'm going to have the antioxidant. I'm going to buy a supplement. And what science is discovering is that sometimes when you take antioxidants, like in a, just like a supplementing with a pill, it has not the same effect because you have antioxidants working with a lot of things in plants. So you have to eat the apple instead of taking the pill and it will do the work. So I have in my book a table that says which group of foods you can complement with others and you'll have the complete proteins. And actually, there are some plant proteins that are complete proteins, like soy, for example, it's a complete protein. Some mushrooms, oyster mushrooms are complete proteins. Chia seeds are complete proteins. Amaranth. Which again means it has all of the essential acids, amino acids you need. Exactly. So what we should be focusing, instead of talking about proteins, we should be talking about amino acids. So if you eat from all the food families, you actually don't need to eat that amount of meat wheat right now. Actually, the amount of meat wheat in countries like in US or Mexico, if every person in the world eat the same amount of animal products, we would need seven planet Earths to supply that demand. It's not sustainable not sustainable for the planet. And the question I love to ask people is, how can we expect to be healthy if our diet is not sustainable with our home? If our diet is not sustainable with the home we live in, the planet, we cannot be healthy. I could say it another way. If our diet will kill the planet we live on, that diet is going to do no good for us. The planet won't be here to live on. You know, another thing we debate with people, of course, the planet is going to die because of us. The thing is that we're going to die because of us. The planet will continue to be here. It's us. We're harming ourselves because we depend on biodiversity. We're just, we're just killing biodiversity. You know, species die every second. Like they go extinct every second because of us.
And we're heading on our way to, what is it, the sixth mass extinction event for the planet? We're getting very close to that. Yeah, but the plants that people used to eat, I don't know, maybe 200 or 150 years ago, you can't find them anymore. Like, you can look and see how many different kinds of apples and pears they had in, in England in I have around 18th century. And it was like 400 different types of pears that they could bring from all over the world. And now we have how many? Five? Ten? That's what we normally eat. There's actually another source of diversity that we've lost. It was completely typical 100 years ago and certainly 150 years ago that in addition to what we would think of things that were cultivated in your garden or that were raised in the field, there are any number of natural plants that are all around. So right in our garden here, nettles will grow on the side. Nettles are a source of nutrition, wonderful thing that you can eat. Purslane lamb's quarters comes up. Most people weed that out of their garden, but it's a perfectly good green to eat. Chickweed, acorns. I make something called wild rice acorn burgers, a recipe I invented. Cattail roots, all of these things. People used to eat them. And so people had a much wider and more diverse diet than we have now because we have a handful of meats and of vegetables that we typically eat now. And we have one kind of banana, whereas there are many kinds of bananas in the world. And you see all of the heirloom tomatoes that you could choose from. And now we have, you know, beefsteak and a couple others that we eat. So, yeah, our diversity has shrunk tremendously, not for our needs, but because it serves someone's profit. Yeah, they're keeping the higher yields, the ones that grow faster are bigger. That are prettier. There's much more information that we could talk about that Jimena Yanez Soto shares with the world through her book, Healthy Planet, Healthy You. We're not going to have time to get all of that, but there is something very important we have to get to before we finish this episode of Spirit in Action. And Jimena, you are largely, not completely, plant-based. You do not eat, get your protein, your food from animals. And as I, you already heard me mention, I've been a vegetarian since 1976. Why did you do this? And are you saying that everyone in the world should become a vegan or plant-based or vegetarian? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm saying just think about what you're eating because maybe the amount of animal products you eat, it wouldn't hurt to bring that amount down. If you like it very much, of course, you could eat once per week. The thing is what we're eating animal products at least three times per day. Think about the breakfast, eggs and milk or coffee with milk and maybe bacon. And then you have for lunch, I don't know, maybe a little salmon steak or chicken. A hamburger. Or a hamburger. And then you have for dinner, a steak with chips. And this is just three times because there's people that may have something in between like these sticks. Uh, the meat, the dried meat, I don't know the name uh, of the name of that stick, but <laughs> they binge on that. So we're eating a lot of animal products. The thing is that if every person in the world eat the same way, we would need seven planet Earths. So it's not sustainable to eat that way. And many people do that not because they like animal products, because of the protein myth, because they think they need to have animals for their protein needs. 
So I'm telling them, if you don't like animal products, don't eat them. Go for the protein complementation. But there are a lot of many kids are like, oh, I don't want to eat this. And the parents are, you have to eat your meat. Let them eat their veggies and their fruits and their cereals. If they don't like that, why force them? So if you're a meat lover, okay, you can have meat. But think about it. Maybe not three times per day. Maybe just one once per day. And what brought me to do this is, again, things going on with my health. And I wanted to try. I started thinking, how can I bring together these two worlds? The environmental world and the health world. There should be a meeting point. I started studying and I started seeing the environmental damage that the way we eat is causing to the planet. So I said, I would like to know more about having a, a vegetarian diet. What would happen to me? Would I get sick? I want to be my own experiment because I, I'm telling you, you have to try things by yourself. Of course, I'm not telling you just eat lettuce because you will get sick. You have to have a lot of foods in your plate, a lot of family foods. But I was trying to understand and to see for myself that if I would get sick. So I tried that for, I think, one or two years for myself. And then I started that because I wanted my family to be healthier too. But I didn't want to try that with my daughters. I said, nah, I'm going to try that in me and see what happens. And I was feeling better. So they started seeing what I was doing and they didn't like that much animal products. And they are healthy and they have been like this. They, I wouldn't say they're vegan. What I say is plant-based. Mostly the food comes from plants. And sometimes you can have something that comes from animals. The problem with stacking your plate with animal products is what you're leaving out. All these magical things, all these plant proteins that comes also with minerals and vitamins and antioxidants and fiber and glucose and water. You're leaving that out. So... It's not about being one way or another. It's just having a balance that works for you because balance is something that has to move accordingly to your specific situation. So I'm not saying nobody, <laughs> don't eat meat. I just say be mindful and bring down the amount if you're eating too much. It's going to be good for you. And when we do get conscious, we become aware of what feels good to us, what helps us, what helps the planet, what helps the plot of land on which we live. So much of the myths, whether it's the protein myth or the, the myth that breakfast is most important meal of the day or cow's milk will make your bones strong, all of these myths that you talk about in Healthy Planet, Healthy You, by calling them out and becoming aware of that, we have choices, choices that will make us happier. So unfortunately, a lot of people also believe a myth that means that if you change your diet, that will make you unhappy. <laughs> and that wasn't my experience. I, what I would say, and I, I saw this I, in so many ways, I feel completely that you are my sister. When I became a vegetarian, I was a completely unlikely person to become a vegetarian because I was a big meat eater. When I would make myself a hamburger, I would use one pound of hamburger. <laughs> So, uh, this is amazing, right? And so I switched literally overnight just because I wanted to take control. I wanted to see, I wanted to do what you advocate as an integrative nutritional health coach. I experimented. And what I found out was by eating a vegetarian diet, my world became better. My life became better. 
And I thought you said basically those same words, that you felt like the world was pushing you in this direction. It wasn't that you decided I had to be plants, but that you found that your world became better. And maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, so I shouldn't do. No, no, no. Yeah, and it did because I, I wanted to find this place where these worlds meet, and I found it. Because if we reduce our animal consumption, we're going to feel better. Maybe some people feel stiff in the joints. You stop eating animal products, and then your joints are better. You'll feel lighter. Like you can do things like when I was practicing yoga, when I stopped eating meat, I was lighter. I could do many more things. I could see it in my joints. The pain or the pressure in my joints came to nothing. And also from a compassionate point of view, we're all interconnected. It's not just humans. We're sharing this planet with other species, even plants. Plants are incredibly intelligent beings. Just they don't move and they don't talk, but they are super intelligent. And we're sharing with them. And whenever we eat them, they transfer that energy and that super conscious to us. When we eat an animal that's been suffering, what do you think we receive? We're talking about energy. We're at the end, everything is energy and we're all interconnected. So also it's not just to be healthy and have a healthier planet. It's also from the point of view of compassion. We're sharing this planet with these animals and these plants. We're part of the same thing. We're brothers and sisters and we're a net. And I would say that you are my sister also in that you eat cheese a few times a week. And I live in Wisconsin, which is known as the dairy state, right? More cows per square foot than anywhere else. And I did eat vegan for three and a half months and cheese was missing from my diet so badly. I really admire both your vulnerability, your honesty, your integrity as you've looked at what can help you be better and help other people be better and help this world be better. And I thank you so much for doing that work and for joining us for Spirit in Action. Thank you so much for having me. And it was a pleasure. And I, I hope people start to be mindful about what we put in our mouths because that's a total game changer. Folks, I'm completely remiss in that I didn't mention Jimena Yanez Soto's website is believetransformb.com. Any questions come via northernspiritradio.org, believetransformb.com. You'll find so many wonderful resources on the website and each chapter of her book there's a section about tips, which is how do you operationalize this knowledge? How do you put it into your life? It's rich. It's a wonderful book. She's a wonderful person. And we'll see you all next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice, with every song, we will move this world along, and our lives will feel the echo.